The Lord be with you. Welcome to worship. My name is Melissa Haupt, and I am the program and publications manager in the chapel office, and very glad to join you this evening for worship service. Uh, Martin Tell asked me to express his regrets that he was not able to be here tonight, but tonight we welcome Michael Gittens at the keyboard. He is our choral assistant on campus and wonderful, and very glad he is here tonight. Yes. <laughs> And he and Brian will be offering our instrumental prelude for worship tonight. Let us prepare our hearts to worship. I invite you to join me in our call to worship. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those, May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bearing the sheaves. 
I invite you to stand as you are able. join me in prayers for the people. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord our prayer. For the peace from up above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord our prayer. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the health of the creation, for abundant harvest that all may share, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For public servants, the government, and those who protect us, for those who work to bring peace, justice, healing, and protection in this and every place, 
Let us pray to the Lord. For those who travel, for those who are sick and suffering, and for those who are in captivity, let us pray to the Lord. For deliverance in the time of affliction, wrath, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. For all of the, for all servants of the church, for this gathering and for all people who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. God of all who fear you, make us one with all your saints and with any who are in need. Teach us to befriend the weak and welcome the outcast that we may serve the Lord Jesus Christ and live to offer him glory. In his holy name we pray, amen.
Good evening. You guys are the, the ones who can make it on Thursday night to the, hear the last sermon of the week. And I just want to thank you for the gift of your attention and presence. It is a privilege to preach to preachers. And I hope that this week uh, has been as enriching and encouraging for you as it has been for me. It's been heavy, but I hope in equipping. Hear now the reading of God's word from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. Yet if any of you suffer as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. This is the word of the Lord. So how did you get your name? Do you like your name? Do people get it right? Do people say it kind of difficult or strange to, to pronounce? I had a friend named Sujin, which is a pretty simple name in, in my opinion, and she'd often been called Sushi because of evidently the Jin was hard to say. And so to make things easier on others and less grating on her ear, she would just suggest, just call me Sue. Hence she became, to many, a girl named Sue. So I always wondered why people would butcher a name like Sujin when they could readily say something like Soren Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, that's a hard name. But Sujin, Rajid, or Ekaputra, well, why bother to get it right if only you're close enough? Somali-British poet and writer Wasson Shire says, give your daughters difficult names, names that command the full use of the tongue. My name makes you want to tell me the truth. My name does not allow me to trust anyone who cannot pronounce it right. So it's not uncommon for people to anglicize or Americanize, or if you really think about it, whiten, their names for the sake of convenience. It's practical. In order to not be ignored by teachers or classmates or coworkers, or to be asked again and again to explain the symbolism and meaning of one's name. But research suggests that in the US, more than half of black and Asian job applicants whitened their resumes, and for good reason. Those who, were, those who did so were twice as likely to get callbacks from employers. And this is for institutions with, with supposedly pro-diversity initiatives. Now, we are all guilty of butchering names and also judging a person by their name. But it's also possible to butcher names that quite easily roll off the tongue. Jesus Christ will curse when someone cuts us off on the road. 
Or we associate the name of Jesus with our own causes and conspiracies in ways that besmirch and dishonor the name of our Lord, a name that should make us want to tell the truth. I think the name of Jesus Christ should be more difficult to say because it is a strange name. It's a name that brings a tongue to worship, a name like fire. Speaking of fire, the author of 1 Peter writes, loved ones, don't think strange the fiery burning that comes to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, to the extent that you're suffering or sharing Christ's sufferings, be glad so that you may celebrate with joy when his glory is revealed. Now this translation of verse 12 is by Craig Keener and I chose it because it helps us see not only the, the belovedness of the Christian community, but also the tenderness and family affection shared between the author and his readers. But more so, it points to the fact that their beloved status as those of chosen and born anew, as children of God, does not exempt them from persistent and even intense suffering and hardship. The Greek verb for think strange or be surprised comes from the same root from which we get words like xenophobia or fear strangers. The author has used it earlier in 4.4 to describe Gentiles who think it strange or are surprised that Christians aren't sharing in the same behaviors with them anymore. So here, the author is flipping his usage of the verb so that while Gentiles should think it strange or foreign, that Christ's followers no longer roll in the same nonsense and lawless idolatry that characterized their former way of life, believers should not think it strange that they suffer for following Jesus. Jesus, after all, suffered unjustly. The letter takes for granted that the Christian experience is full of heat. First Peter likens believers' testing of faith to the fiery process involved in refining precious metals. This is in 1, 6 through 7. Precious metals such as when the metal ore is separated from the dross. And in 4.12, the author refers to the fiery burning that tests believers' faith. And then he offers a rationale for why they should joyously share in the sufferings of Christ in verse 13. So as we have studied the letter this week, throughout 1 Peter, Christ is portrayed as the suffering Christ, but also as the vindicated Christ. Because Christ suffered innocently and then completely entrusted himself to the righteous judgment of God, he is now glorified. Believers similarly must endure innocent suffering associated with being his followers, but they have Christ's example before them. And like Christ, they too will be glorified as they pattern their lives in accordance to the will of God. So 1 Peter's use of the label Christian, or Christianos, in 4.16 gives us a glimpse into the way the term emerged out of a really difficult encounter between Christians and non-Christians. We see in the letter that Christians had to negotiate their relationship to the larger society as they faced both formal and informal hostility because of their decision to follow Jesus. 
And David Horrell, he explains that the label as used in this passage serves as, quote, the earliest witness to the crucial process whereby the term was transformed from a hostile label applied by outsiders to a self-designation born with honor, end quote. So it's not that Christians will suffer, but how Christians suffer that will surprise those who slander and mistreat them, who used to roll with them. Christians have the task of responding with irreproachable and honorable conduct. It's hard to do. The logic 1 Peter offers for why Christians can rejoice and take courage in being reviled for the name of Christ is expressed, I think, by Mahatma Gandhi when he says, truth never damages a, a cause that is just. Truth never damages the cause that is just. So those who are living in reverence and obedience to God don't have to live in fear uh, that their cause is futile or vain. God sees, God cares, God will judge both the righteous and the unrighteous justly. A lot of judgment goes in, there's a lot of description of God as judge throughout 1 Peter. God's judgment will begin with the households of God but will end with those who do not obey the gospel of God. Unjust suffering should be experienced and understood in light of the reality that God's righteous judgment is impending for both believers and unbelievers. So the author is trying to speak and bring comfort, not anxiety, to his addressees. Suffering for doing what is right, for bearing the difficult name of Christ and being slandered as Christians is not the result of discipline or retribution from God but it's the result of bearing the name and living in the way of Christ who is foreign and alien to the dominant culture. So it puts them in sanctifying solidarity with their Lord and with fellow members of God's household. As I said in my previous sermon, suffering has no benefit in and of itself and getting one's just desserts has nothing to do with being Christian for the author. Suffering unjustly, however, for doing what is right is a, decidedly Christian, is a decidedly Christian in character and actually a Christian problem, a challenge that we face. For 1 Peter, moral courage and ethical integrity are required of those who bear the name of Christ. Christians share in the sufferings of Christ and in solidarity with suffering believers. So we live in a context we live in a context where Christian has become a dog whistle, a rallying, rallying cry, an assemblage of symbols, uh, flags, myths, and religious guise for white nationalism. Rather than be a difficult, contemptuous, and costly name to be labeled by or labeled with, it has become a household name used to show contempt for justice and mercy, used to incite violence. I still find it hard to shake the bewildering images from January 6th, that insurrection at the US Capitol. There we saw this hodgepodge of conflicting symbols, did we not? Confederate flags and don't tread on me flags, juxtaposed with Christian symbols like a wooden cross and signs that read, Jesus saves. This insurrection, as we know, was not the spur of the moment sort of thing that happened but was the result of three century long ideology that, held, that holds on for dear life 
to the myth that the U.S. is a Christian nation founded by white Christians with laws and institutions based on Protestant Christianity. We talked about this, but I'm just going to say it one more time, okay? So white Christian nationalism has certain biblical narratives and it weaves into, that is weaved into this ideology. But it didn't first have a racial justification. So initially, the idea that America is a promised land and that early settlers were the new Israelites, that was like a theological justification to rid the land of new Amicalite people already living on the land. So they took what was rightly theirs from indigenous peoples, so they thought. And then we have this eschatology, this, time, this end times uh, thought that Jesus will come down to earth in this final showdown between good and evil, with Christians in America obviously being on the side of good. Think about the movies and books that fuel this apocalyptic vision. I know we've seen them, right? They're all over. Whiteness came into play when settlers needed a justification to continue to enslave slaves who converted to Christianity. You can't call them heathen anymore or godless. So as Dr. Stacy Floyd Thomas explained in her lecture yesterday, they came up with this Hamitic curse. African slaves were the offspring of the cursed ham. And so white Christians could both bear, uh, could both convert their slaves to Christ while using this terrible ideology and horrible theology and biblical, interpreta biblical interpretation to justify enslaving them. So it is in the name of freedom, order, and violence that the January 6th insurrection took place. And it was against the backdrop of Black Lives Matter movement and nationwide calls for racial justice. Are you seeing the connections? Why? Because such were viewed as a threat by white Christian nationalists to the racial order and to their notions of liberty and freedom. So, how do we read 1 Peter, this letter, in light of its message to those who have voluntarily taken on a new religious and social identity as Christians, a minoritized religion, a superstition in the eyes of the dominant culture? How do we preach it in our context in light of the fact that it was written to those who are not geographically displaced, but rather socially displaced and experiencing hostility and suffering as a consequence of their decision to follow Jesus? And as a result of their chosenness by God and obedience to God. How do we read it against the backdrop of white Christian nationalism that is really a threat, a threat today and ironically and heretically constantly refers to the name of Christ and the label Christian in ways that would be unthinkable to the author and his addressees. I think what we do need to do persistently and courageously, but also patiently, is we need to disentangle these notions of election, of chosenness, of being God's people, God's household, right? We need to disentangle these notions from more recent notions of American exceptionalism and Christian nationalism because these are notions that incite the name of Christ, but it is void of Christ transforming, healing, restoring power. This takes work and this takes time. And someone told me, I can never preach like you preached in my church. Well, first, they probably won't invite me, so you got to do it. <laughs> You got to do it. And you have to grapple with how am I going to do it in ways that are faithful, in ways that understand my context and community, 
but in ways that push and challenge and disorient because Christ's name has become too familiar and Christ's way too strange for the Christian church in America. And we need to study and know Jesus of the scriptures in light of the whole witness of the canon. Amen? This task that we're doing here, coming to the Engel Institute of Preaching, isn't just for con ed credit, right? Though you might get some. It's because you care about and take seriously the task of preaching. Oh, it is a joyous, what is it, a joyous burden? I forget, somebody has this, this thing about it. I, I'm butchering it. I'm going to stop now. But I'll say this. It's hard to ta- preach faithfully. It's hard to preach courageously. It's hard to preach weekly, yeah. right? But we need to take seriously preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to do it even if it hurts and even if it disrupts and challenges. We need to take seriously again the name of Jesus, the cost of following the Lord that really looks so little like those who hold positions of authority and power in institutions whose way will not necessarily advance your congregation's careers or build their nest eggs protect their neighborhoods from not changing. Who, as Paul writes, though was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like like human beings. When found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This isn't a John Wayne kind of Jesus. This isn't the kind of leader or lord with the machismo or AR-15 toting rabbi who could have prevented his crucifixion had he had the right artillery. Our churches and congregations desperately need to know Jesus of the Gospels and of the Scriptures. Will you give it to them? Will you preach it faithfully and courageously? The nature, characteristic, and way of Jesus is naturally going to be counter to the ways of our self-preserving ethno, racial, tribe-preserving, flesh, and power-protecting, foreigner-fearing character and nature. We have become so at home in the world, so at home in the dominant culture, that we have become what King calls a weak and ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So I want to end with a poem that speaks to the need for the name of Jesus become difficult to say again. It's in a poem that I already referred to by a Setu Shango called Give Your Daughters Difficult Names. The speaker says, have a name that brings the tongue to worship. Names that feel like a ritual in your mouth. I don't want a name said without a pause, muttered without intention. I am through with names that leave me unmoved. Names that leave the speaker's mouth unscathed. I want a name like fire, like rebellion, like my hand gripping the master's whip. I want a name that catches you in the throat if you say it wrong. And if you're afraid to say it wrong, then I guess you should be. I want a name that only the brave can say. A name that only fits right in the mouth of those who love me right because only the brave can love me right. May we speak the name of Christ bravely and love him right.
Sisters, brothers, pastors, preachers, let us not speak the name of our Lord and preach his gospel in a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. But let's continue in this hard, but faithful and faith-filled, strange ministry of helping God's people understand what it means to live into the reality that God highly honored Christ and gave him a name above all names so that the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven and on earth, under the earth, may bow down and every tongue confess that what? That who? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. to thank again Michael Gittens for being here this evening and leading us in worship and also to Michael Wallace and Brian Fox for sharing their gifts with us all week long as well. We close tonight's service with a time of blessing and sending. As we move through the sections of blessing God, blessing one another, and God blessing us, you'll see some instructions listed in your bulletin. Um, if you fall into that category, you'll speak the words of scripture to one another. So musicians, Anglo faculty, look out for your designations there. There are also some directions that are listed there. Um, we'll consider this table north. So folks on this side, you'll be east. Um, let's do folks on this side, you'll be south. And then this half and everyone on this side, you guys will be west. So let us go into our time of blessing and I invite Chris to begin us with our uh, benediction. 
We bless God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, all you hosts of God, you servants who do God's will. Bless the Lord, all you works of God, in all places where God rules. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We bless one another. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for your harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, and if you seek me with all your heart. Thank you. God bless you. Go in power and courage and preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. Now let's pass the peace.